you're new to Fourth Space, well, welcome or welcome back. What do we do here? Well, we work with our university community to mobilize and exchange knowledge by co-creating daily activities, conversations such as this one. So it's really our great pleasure to have collaborated with Homeroom's Black Perspectives Office Pod to make this conversation possible. That's it for me. I'll pass it over to Joel now. Welcome, Joel. Welcome, everyone. My name is Joel Dinku, and I'm the coordinator for the Homeroom program. Um, we're very excited and happy to host this event today. Uh, we're calling it Anti-Black Racism Task Force, discussing student-led uh, change. So as we talked a little bit about earlier, so um, we kind of, we wanted to acknowledge, first of all, that Concordia is located on unceded indigenous land. Um, the Ganegahaka Nation is recognized as the custodians of the land and waters on which we gather today, um, even here at the fourth space. So uh, first of all, thank you to the fourth space for allowing us to host uh, the event right here. And uh, Jojake, Montreal is historically known as a gathering place for many First uh, Nations. And today it's home to a diverse population of indigenous and other people. And we, we respect the continuous connections with the past, present and future and our ongoing relations with indigenous and other peoples uh, within the Montreal community. And today uh, we will be discussing the past, present and future and how our diverse communities and can work together to create change um, which was what happened with this uh, anti-black racism task force and everything that is to come from it and has already come from it. So without further ado, it's time to introduce our uh, wonderful speakers. Um, so first of all, I'm going to start off with Vanessa Manroop, who is uh, our student facilitator um, here at Homeroom's BPO pod, the Black Perspectives Office. She's also an ambassador with the BPO and a student in her final semester at JMSB in Human Resources. She was recently named one of Canada, uh, one of CBC's Black Changemakers, recognized for her community work and the way she's inspiring others and helping to shape the future. So welcome, Vanessa, to the event. Um, so this event is happening in part because Vanessa straight up uh, asked, um, so what are we doing for Black History Month? So. This is uh, kind of what came from it. And um, at that moment, after talking about it, there is really one person we circled and it is an absolute honor to have her with us here today. And that is here, Angelique uh, Wilkie. So Angelique, um, first of all, her bio is so extensive and diverse. <laughs> we really could go on and just talk about that the whole hour or two hours that we're here. She's really doing a lot. and. Really, thank you, Angelique, for taking the time to be with us today. She's a multidisciplinary artist and the associate professor in the Department of Contemporary Dance. Um, she's here today as the chair of the President's Task Force on Anti-Black Racism and special advisor to the Provost on Black Integration and Knowledges at Concordia. So can we just give also a round of applause to Angelique, who's uh, taking her time to be here today. And I will say one thing to not just read their whole bio. I'll say one thing that uh, you, you will uh, leave here today feeling inspired. She will leave you inspired. And mm -hmm. she's also known as someone who always makes herself available for others. So really, thank you, Angelique. I will now pass it off to Vanessa to start, it off, to start us off with this conversation on how students can be involved and the changes and recommendations proposed by the report. And as mentioned earlier, you will have time at the end for questions. So keep that in mind as we're going into this. That's it. Thank you, Joel. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> and thank you again so much, Angelique, for being here and just sharing your time 
but like your knowledge and all that warmth that you have um, with us here today. I want to just start off by asking you how you're doing. How am I doing? That's such an ambitious question already. Um, the the I, If I'm totally honest, I'm in coping mode. Um, there's a lot going on um, and I've taken it on with gusto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to try and finish it with gusto, but it requires a lot of gusto. <laughs> um, the, the, the work of the task force, I think, is... Um, I'm not sure I knew exactly what I was getting into. Um, and as I think a lot of activism is, you don't start out knowing what it's going to entail. You do what you think needs to get done. Mm -hmm. um, and you find yourself in a place where, you know, the, 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 the to-do list and the tasks related to those and the responsibilities related to those tasks define themselves. And yeah, if you need to step up to the plate, you step up to the plate. So here I am. <laughs> but you've done so you've done so well stepping up to the plate. We wouldn't have known that y your task list is forever, ever building. You take it on with grace. And um, I'm so inspired by you. I just want to start off with that. OK, now, <laughs> Thank you. before we really dive in, um, I just want to simply set the scene and give some historical context about what we'll be discussing today. Um, I'll keep it brief in this setting. However, I do strongly encourage you all to do your own research and readings on the matter um, to get an even more detailed picture. So uh, the history of the student demonstration at Sir, uh, Sir George Williams University. So it happened in 1969. Students occupied the university's computer center on the ninth floor of the hall building, so the building right across the street, um, and in protest of alleged racism at the university. Police were called um, on February 11th. 97 students were um, arrested, so maybe three times the size that we hear, four times the size that we are in here. And this was followed by lengthy legal trials for those arrested. Um, I thought it was also very interesting to note that the day before the protests, the Georgian, which was the newspaper at the time, the school newspaper, devoted its entire publication to the position taken by black students and the university's response to that position. So Angelique, in your opinion, what were the impacts following that protest? Um, yeah, that question is quite broad in its way. I think there are um, multiple levels of impact. I think there's the, the impact at the time, which was um, uh, on the one hand insufficient mm. in terms of the institution and the changes that it meant here. Um, the, the coming out of that, ultimately the Ombuds Office was created, but the reality is the, the, the professor who was accused of racist action was reinstated. I mean, you know, the, the impact, like I said, I think institutionally was limited. Um, and that posed difficult, I mean, I think posed difficulty at many levels. The impact, of course, for the students who were arrested was catastrophic for many, not all. Um, I think traumatic for all. Um, again, at different levels and manifesting in different ways. But, you know, I mean, from students who were deported, some of them not being able, there were quite a few who were from the Caribbean. Um, if their home countries weren't prepared to pay for them to come home, 
there was nowhere for them to go and they were forced to leave Canada. So, you know, there are, there's a student, for example, who ended up in an African country because that was what, that was the place that would take him. So, I mean, you know, the impact was huge. Um, at the time of the launch last fall, we spent a lot of time talking, myself and the provost predominantly, spent a lot of time talking to former protesters and some who had been arrested. And there are those who have managed to be extremely philosophical about it, but not without pain. Um, and others that are still hurt and angry and where their lives were upended. Um, that said, I think there's also another level of impact of those events, even at the time. And that's about galvanizing um, the, the, what was already going on in the late 60s, early 70s in Montreal around um, uh, black power, black power movements, black struggle. Um, and I think the, the, it meant that the, in a way, had things worked out well, that impact would not necessarily have been as great. Mm -hmm. But I think precisely because we ended up in a situation where the university called the police, the riot squad came, the arrests were made. Um, it, ha it, it meant concretely that the Sir George Williams protests in certain categories, riots in another, um, became a, a kind of barometer across the country for student protest in relationship to anti-Black racism. So that, those, I mean, that's a, it, that's a very succinct mm -hmm. way of uh, expressing it, but that I think uh, uh, addresses the impacts at the time. I think subsequent impact, um, if I really link it to the work that I've been involved in over the past now almost three years, the, the, what, what rises to the surface for me was the fact that addressing those events became the, the anchor, the gravity point in a way for being able to justify and give credibility to any other recommendations that we might have. It would not have made any sense to recommend changes to address anti-Black racism if we weren't going to address that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, to address that without recommendations for actual concrete action that wouldn't have made any sense either. So the, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a now impact as well that's very much um, central to the work that we ended up doing around the task force on the final report. What an answer, right? <laughs> um, well, you brought up the task force, and I'm just going to explain it super briefly as well for those who may not know. So it was created in fall 2020, and its mandate is to coordinate the work needed to generate recommendations anchored in the, live, uh, in the lived experiences of Black faculty, staff, and students in employment policies, teaching, and learning practices. So you talked about kind of what led to the task force, but mm -hmm. what led you to the task force? The task force chose me. <laughs> the, the, and I think the, the you know, it's, it, the answer is it's simple and it's not so simple as for most things. For I everything. Think. But yeah, yes. exactly. But I think that, um, you know, there were a lot of things that, that led to my involvement. I uh, got tenure uh, in May of 2020. And I remember thinking to myself, ah, okay, so what does that mean? Of course, it was a pandemic in any case. We were all at home behind our computer screens. 
And so I couldn't even really celebrate it. And I thought, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for me to have a permanent position in the university where unless I do something really crazy, they can't fire me, mm -hmm. right? So what does that mean? What does that allow me to do? What, what, what does it behoove me to do? Um, because I took it in that sense as well. It's not just secure employment. I come from, you know, I've, before entering Concordia in 2015, um, I had only ever lived as a freelance artist. And so this is my first full-time job in my career. I mean, the, the, and I say that, you know, still with a certain amount of resistance, <laughs> the idea of having a full-time job and having to be in the same place every day. So that for me, it was really, okay, but what does it mean? What is the significance for me? And as I was toying with that, um, unfortunately, George Floyd was murdered. Mm -hmm. um, and I also am raising two black kids. So I had, you know, at the time, my son was 16 years old and, and super angry, um, angrier, confused, hurt, uh, uh, wildly lost, I would say, after watching that video. And it made me think, okay, my son may never come to Concordia, but this is a place where I can, I can try and make a difference. So I think if, if you were to ask me, why am I doing this? My first response would be my son. Mm. Um, and how I ended up doing it, I think was really, it's a question of circumstance. You know, sometimes we think we choose and sometimes life chooses us. And I think the, the, the combination of not coming from academia as well, meant that I had no history in this context. And I think that lack of history and a, a, a well-oiled craft in improvisation, in, you know, finding, yeah, really, you know, finding ways around, okay, so this is the rule. Well, there's loads of space in between this rule and this rule. So how do we, how do we navigate those spaces? How do we, um, you know, really nursing a capacity to, communicate, to adapt, to rally people around causes, to find places where it's not about taking the edge off. I mean, it's about holding to the convictions, but trying to make sure that those convictions are actually common, mm. not individual, you know, flag waving. So I think I happened to be there at, the, at that moment, um, could, and it became clear that you know, with the group of faculty, staff, uh, uh, and students with whom I was working. I mean, we managed to craft the Concordia Statement on Black Lives, which garnered 7,000 signatures in two weeks. And that really became a, a, a source of leverage for conversations mm -hmm. with the university administration. Sure. And from that, in the context of those conversations, yeah, I think I was the least polemic. Um, and so that allowed space to keep going. And so I did. I mean, and needed you're to doing happen. it. And I'm, I'm, st I'm still going. <laughs> I'm still, still not sure how, but I'm still going. Yeah. But I can't, I have to say, I mean, I can't either. Um, for me, it's, it's not, I mean, I recognize it as activism now, but I still don't, um, I still don't consider myself an activist. I think, I think, I think we all just need to do what we need to do. And if this is the work that needs to get done, then you get on with it. I would take that as a quote. We all just need to do what we need to do. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
this project, as you mentioned, is just so great, but like great beyond means yeah. that you weren't even ready for. What were some of maybe the challenges to either get it going, get it mm-hmm. approved? I mean, the, the good news is that I, at no point, and I really reiterate that flashing lights, you know, blowing horns, the whole bit, at no point in the process have I ever had to convince mm. senior leadership that this needed to happen. And I say that loudly. Yeah. So Graham Carr and Anne Whitelaw have been unyielding in their support, right? So without them, mm-hmm. I couldn't do any of what I have done. So it's, it, that's really important because, and it's, I mean, I do think ultimately we want to be in a, a, a we want to be stimulating change that is not only top down. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's extremely important as well. But if they were not ready yeah. to take this on and to consider it a priority for the university, then it wouldn't have been possible to rally the kind of transversal support that we've been enjoying for the past three years, right? So that's, that's a first, it's a first point of departure. Um, I think the greatest challenge First of all, we started out as three co-chairs. Okay. If anybody had said to me, Angelique, do you want to take this on by yourself? I would have run out of the door screaming, quite likely. You know what I mean? Of course not. I don't mm-hmm. want to do it by myself. Um, life does what life does. You know, I mean, the, the other two people involved both had life issues to deal with. And so um, ultimately I, there, was, there was me left. And, the, the, and of course that became a driver as well to say, okay, you can't step out now, mm-hmm. right? So the, the um, I deferred sabbaticals, I stayed on, I, you know, all of that kind of thing in order to make sure that this thing that we had committed to, um, not just me individually, but me on behalf of, you know, senior leadership, but also the black community who had rallied around us. Um, this was an opportunity. And, and, uh, and I think that even though to a certain extent, part of me thinks, yeah, we're all tired of doing the work. The work is not ours to do. You hear that? That's, you know, that, and that's, there are words I'm not supposed to use in public, so I'm not going to use them, but, you know, the work is not ours to do. However, the world is made the way it is. People uh-huh. are the way they are. And so if we do not seize this moment where, you know, in a espèce de brèche, yeah, there's a space that has opened. And if we don't take advantage of that, it'll be lost. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested as well in, in, in leveraging again, the, 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 the momentum that's there in order to create more momentum so that ultimately it's not tied to one individual because for the time being, it still is, mm-hmm. it's about me and the work I'm doing and that that's not sustainable. Right. So the, I think my greatest challenge has been, um, how to champion and not be indispensable. Wow. It's super hard. Yeah. It's super hard. But I've learned loads. Mm-hmm. I've learned as well to really zero in on the where I can actually make the difference. If I feel like, okay, that's not going to work so well, then don't keep hammering your head against the wall. Mm-hmm. Let go. Get back to it later. Deal with, you know, op- keep opening up the space where it can open up. And it's by opening up that space that ultimately there's this kind of other reaction that happens later where, you know, yeah, other, other aspects 
get pulled into the work that's actually becoming more um, more substantial, more consequential, more recognized, better articulated, more supported, that kind of thing. Um, but it's the, the, that, that critical piece of making sure that I can pull myself out mm -hmm. afterwards. That's the challenge now. Now that the, the final report is done, that, that officially the task force doesn't exist anymore. So it's as special advisor that I take on the rest. But there are 88 recommendations that, you know, move across the whole spectrum of life at the university mm -hmm. for students, for staff, for faculty. Implementing those requires an institutional effort. But that, that means, I mean, Andrew has certainly heard me talk about it as well on several occasions, this idea of taking it on um, transversally mm. so that we're not looking at, okay, I'm responsible for this, so I do that. You're responsible for that, so you do that. No, how, how is what we're doing um, in dialogue with each other and how do we create the kinds of communities of practice and, uh, um, you know, this works for us, this works less. Um, how, you know, how do we help each other? How do we support each other? How do we find humility mm -hmm. in the tasks we're taking on so that we can actually admit this is not working? It's, you know, we, in general, it's super easy to stand up on a box and say, we're doing a great job. But how do we also say, this is not working. It's not sufficient. And what can we do to, to just find some, yeah, space, elasticity in the institutional fabric itself so that we can start to, to, to discover the changes from the inside, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You've honestly um, altered like the chemistry in my brain of how I think, because I, I work in community a lot and often we hit walls because we don't want to let go of the, of the idea we had or um, people become not so humble anymore. And it's those obstacles we're facing instead of the actual task at hand. Mm -hmm. But uh, you've given me a lot to think about. Well, if I can add something to that, Vanessa, I mean, I think one of the issues as well is, and I am, you know, I think of my son again, in fact, I talk about him a lot, but um, the, the, if, if we get caught up in that specific thing, then you're miss, then we're missing other opportunities, right? Yeah. And sometimes by releasing here and focusing there, you actually create the possibility for this other thing that was useful, interesting priority mm -hmm. to reemerge and, and get lifted. So I think that there, there's a, you, you know, institutions have square wheels. So it's, yeah, it's, it's true, you know, it's, so how do we then make it about the people who work in the institution mm -hmm. rather than about the institution? The, the, if the people start to shift, then there's a, and, and for me, that shifting is, you know, those are the soldier ants, not the queen. You know, it's really, it's, mm -hmm. it, this is where the shifting needs to happen. And that's where we kind of start to move the, you find there, we find a little bit more porosity. We find a little bit more elasticity in that, you know, the, the frameworks and the parameters. So that, yeah, the, 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 the culture starts to change. And, you know, I mean, 
we're talking about it now here in the context of the work of the Anti-Black Racism Task Force, but ultimately it's about all racialized mm -hmm. and marginalized people. Yeah, it's applicable in any kind of setting. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, you mentioned that there's 88 recommendations, mm. so this document is very long, but worth the read. Um, however, the university is committed to implementing all yep. the recommendations. Mm -hmm. And so you actually sharing how it's about us moving around, us as students, how can, what role can we take to ensure that um, it actually comes to be hold, holding the mm -hmm. institution accountable? I mean, it's an excellent question because I think that the, um, I think it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a double edged thing. I don't want to call it a sword. Um, but on the one hand, you know, one of the things that I've said a lot over the course of the conversations that I've had at different levels in the university is not only how are, you know, people receive the recommendations and they think, okay, you know, how are these relevant to my unit or my work or my, you know, responsibilities, whatever. And I think the other piece to that is how do you make yourself relevant to the recommendations? So, and I do believe that those two facets need to articulate together. So on the one hand, um, we, and I say we now as a representative of the institution, and of the recommendations themselves, the task force and recommendations, we need to make sure that we uh, create procedures, mechanisms, structures, uh, processes that allow you entry mm. into the process, right? That for me is, is critical. Um, for me, they're not yet in place. So, Part of what I'm orchestrating before I leave on sabbatical, because I am leaving on sabbatical, okay. um, but part of what is being orchestrated is, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the advisory committees, that kind of thing, so that we have the possibility to be in consultation with students on a regular basis as we move through the recommendations. I think as well the creation of things like the Black Student Center, which Anne uh, announced last week, will also become a hub for the, the, the information to circulate mm -hmm. as well, where, where students have a, have, a, have a structure that holds their voice, right? So I think that's, that's critical. Um, but also I feel like because the special advisor position now exists, even if I'll be away next year, because the BPO now exists, um, I think it's also about uh, taking advantage of the momentum that is there and making sure that you all speak. You know, don't wait to be consulted. Say what you need. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that now, then it's also a missed opportunity, right? Because there is a certain amount of momentum. People are listening. Um, and so I think that whether it's through the BPO Student Council, through the cultural clubs and that, you know, and that access, um, through the Dean of Students Office, through student services, through, uh, uh, the, and student services being, you know, the Black Student Center will function through that. Um, even through CSU, you know, there are, there are, it's to use the bodies that are, that exist to make sure that they are holding your voices. Mm. Don't wait, because I think one, I mean, one of the, the challenges that I encountered over the course of the past three years has been um, 
yeah, almost a sense in which different, different groups on campus were waiting to be consulted or waiting to be invited to speak. But in fact, this is everybody's stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 and the reality is n- there's no way, even with the 88 recommendations, I'm sure there are things we've missed, you know, like nothing is going to be foolproof, nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, and on top of that priorities shift, populations shift, their needs change. So how do we make sure that we're, that what we're setting up is something that is constantly circulating so that your voices are heard and we can react. Here's what we're working on. How does it feed you? Here's what we need. This is manifesting over here. Okay, how do we find that space? So again, this, the, the, to make sure that what's happening in the institution is about the people in the institution. The other thing that I think is extremely important in terms of black student involvement is wherever there are, you have community relationships, as in non-concordia, Right, black community Mm -hmm. relationships to bring those into the university. So that Concordia, I mean, Concordia does not, should not exist in abstraction of the context in which it evolves. We we're in Montreal. Mm -hmm. We, you know, there's a history with a black community here, black communities. There are several. Um, There are different linguistic groups. There are different uh, 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 cultural backgrounds inside of that. How do we make sure, in order for us to be sure that what is happening inside of the university can speak to slash with those realities outside, it's not only for the administration to engage that. As students, you know, bring, bring those lives into the university. And, and that will also, it will, it will force us as leaders inside of the institution to respond mm-hmm. to those relationships as well. So I feel like, you know, it's on both fronts that I think that the kinds of priorities that we've identified through the task force need to thrive. Mm-hmm. Just note that she gave us homework. <laughs> okay. We have to bring stuff to our <laughs> bring university. Stuff, really bring it in. Um, you mentioned, so the Black Student Center, I'm excited as a Black student, even though I probably will be graduating and exactly. yeah. You can come back um, and visit. Yes, I would like to, but can you maybe share on what it, what we can expect? What is it going to look like? What's Well, you know, the, the, it's never existed before, so we'll, we have to make it up. Um, and so on that basis as well, the, the, not to flip it back to you, but the, again, how do we make sure that we're creating something that actually reflects you all? It's by getting you involved in the dreaming of it, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, that's one of the reasons that we've um, launched the contest amongst Black students for you to contribute names, uh, potential names. Um, on that same form, it also invites your input in terms of what, do you, what would you want to see in that center? I mean, you know, the, the, what kind of programming, what kind, you know, like you want a coffee machine and a computer, you want to have film night, like you need a, you know, like you want to mm-hmm. screen a projector, like what is it that you need? And I feel like that is, again, it's the, the, maybe that's part of the culture shift because there are, there are many different facets to it, but it's also, it's what I was mentioning just before. How do you make sure that you are not waiting to be served, but also engaging so that you're part of the solution? as much as 
seeking mm-hmm. the solution. You know what I mean? I think that they work, they work in tandem. So the, the, from a purely institutional and logistical <laughs> point of view, um, Otsunakta exists, which is the indigenous student center. And that gives us a certain amount of, uh, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, primary information, right? Gives us a point of departure of structure and the kinds of services because they're, I mean, and they've been doing it for much longer. Oxenhakta is 30 years old. And so the, the, the history that they have dealing with their community and, and really finally addressing their community's needs, that's, we'd be crazy not to be, you know, taking advantage of their experience as we try to set something else up you know, for the, for black students. And I think also, I mean, it's an opportunity for me to mention that the, the, the circumstances of indigenous students and black students are not, they're not the same, but the need for solidarity between the two groups is critical. Yes. Right. And not Mm -hmm. to be forgotten. So when we think in terms of indigenous students and, and, and the histories their bodies carry, we're talking about stolen lands and stolen cultures. We think about black students and the histories their bodies carry, not for all of them, but to a very large extent, we're talking about stolen bodies on stolen lands. Those, th- there, there are relationships of solidarity that I think are critical to the ways in which we engage together and the ways in which that we try to yeah, the support each other's endeavors um, and and inspire each other from what the other is experiencing and doing. And so I feel like, you know, those are things that we can build on and must build on so that we're not, I mean, I don't want, I don't want the work that we're doing to be creating another silo. Mm. In fact, you know, it's like the, 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 we're also in the pro in the process now of um, uh, doing a letter of intent for a black studies minor and um the you know one of the, one of the issues with that as well was okay but it can't just become a box we check okay yeah. there's a black studies minor we don't need to worry about black perspectives in curriculum across the university mm-hmm. so in fact what that means is that we do both at the same yeah. time so there's a minor happening and then there's also still looking at you know curriculum that in principle wouldn't quote unquote lend itself to black perspectives and how are we making sure that you know, that, that, that material is being opened up. What are the references being used? What are the sources? What are the case studies? What are the, you know, what are the methodologies actually being tapped into? So, I mean, I, I really do think there's, there, there are no, um, the kinds of connections that we built between the uh, recommendations as well also speak to the strategies mm-hmm. to deal with them. You know, they overlap, not all of them for sure, but there's, there's a certain amount of porosity, there's overlap, there's, because it, requ- it requires um, concerted uh, actions. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Um, as you speak, the only thing that pops up to me is safe space, community, hmm. welcoming. And uh, I'm going to do a shameless plug and say that we here at Homeroom and at the BPO, we do our best to do that for Black students on mm-hmm. campus. And I see that for the Black Student Center as well, just being a, a safe space. Um, I can also speak to that because I've created safe spaces for young Black girls mm-hmm. through a book club called Black Girls Gather. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want your take on what's the importance 
of having a safe space, a welcoming, culturally um, woke, as the young mm. ones say, uh, community <laughs> spaces. And how does that support um, our health and our wellness for us, especially as Black students? Mm. Again, I mean, I think in terms of raising my own children. I mean, I grew up in Jamaica where, you know, I was about to say everybody looks like me. No, they don't, but they do. The, the, in the sense that there's, I mean, there are, there are all kinds of other differences that we, you know, every society has its own differences, but the, the, I never had to question ever, 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 ever my sense of belonging. Mm. And watching my own children grow up in a predominantly white environment, um, that is something that is constantly visiting them, constantly. And it manifests in very different ways, whether it's, you know, can I, mom, can I go to work with my hair like this? You know what I mean? Um, my son, of course, like running home at eight o'clock at night from the metro because he decided, oh, well, I'll race the bus. And I have to say to him, eh, next time, walk. Uh, you know, so for me, the, 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 the need for a space speaks to the fact that we live in a society that is not safe. Mm -hmm. That's what that speaks to. And the, the, so being in an environment of learning where ultimately the, in an ideal world, of course, the whole university should be safe. Right. Right. But, but I think that even as we try to accomplish that, we need to not be blind to the need to exhale, the need to, to, to just be with you know, we, you laugh at the same things, you shoot the shit about other stuff, you, mm -hmm. you know, and those things are real. They're real and they enhance our ability to learn. They're, they also enhance our ability to contribute and to feel value for others as well as for ourselves. And so I feel like the, the, if what we're offering to students, some students might never even put their foot in there. But knowing it exists yeah. already speaks to something. Yeah. And so I feel like the, the, it's about offering a place, a haven, a haven, just an exhale spot, you know, and that where there, the, I think because we, we carry, there are so many biases that manifest in so many different ways in the broader society. Right. So the, the, who knows, you might need academic help and you have a hard time asking for it. Yeah. But all of a sudden in a room with other black folk with whom you can say, yeah, this is hard for me too. Where you don't have to do that and think, yeah, I'm doing fine. Well, you know, it's okay to not do fine, but, but you, you, you need to, you, you need to be, in order to be able to admit that things are not going quite so well, you need to be in a place where you feel you're not going to be judged for that. The help is there. The support is there. Mm -hmm. So the, the, for me, that's the value and that's the need. Um, and that need has been there for a very long time. You know, one of the, one of the, one of the facets um, of student life that really manifested as a gap um, is for international students. Because they often get they, they get lost in the cracks. They don't they don't have they don't have community when they, they're not from here. Um, some of them master the language, some not. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, and they they get quickly caught in the cracks. And to just create a a space where okay, 
you know, just this, this is, this is yours. Mm-hmm. I think is with all of the cultural, um, uh, cultural, uh, I use cultural, but in a really in a broad sense, not in a, not in a narrow sense, uh, diversity that black communities are. Mm-hmm. Cause that for me is to be celebrated, but there are very few contexts at the university that really allow us to not be celebrating that in our respective silos, but one more time to celebrate that together. Here is the, here is the just enormously rich, um, you know, space that is blackness. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. No, it truly is. And honestly, just you talking and bringing up the idea of, I just start to feel more safe. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it's already working. Um, but honestly, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, it's really touching and a uh, lot to think about. I want to end on this super serious question. So we know you're an artist, mm-hmm. dancer, drama. I want to know if there's any type of art that you haven't touched yet that you are going to do. That I am going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to practice stillness during my sabbatical. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. I have an image of a warm rock and a lizard. <laughs> and I'm going to do the lizard. I just do that. Immobility is super complicated for me. For those who know me, it's a real challenge. <laughs> so I consider that an art. Yes, definitely. And I'm going to tackle that. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Wasn't the answer I was expecting, I'm but sure. I like it. <laughs> And on that note, I will invite Joel back up to close us off. Awesome. So again, thank you so much to everyone that came today for those on Zoom. And uh, again, special thanks to our two uh, speakers today. Um, Hope that you were able to really um, just grasp some of the uh, wisdom and knowledge that we were able to have here. And to finish off, uh, we'd just like to um, have... Uh, Vanessa has something for for you, Angelique. You've planted so many seeds in us today. And um, people always talk about not giving much appreciation. And so we just wanted to give you your flowers for dropping all the knowledge and the wisdom and the inspiration that you've given us today. Uh, Thank you so much. I know that we've all been touched and changed after today's conversation. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yay. Thanks, Joel. If you have an idea for a podcast, please let us know. You can contact us by email at info.4 at concordia.ca or find us on social media at CU4thSpace. All social media is managed by Jacqueline Wexler. This episode of the 4th Space podcast is hosted by me, Maximus Delmar, and produced by Anna Vaklavec and Douglas Moffat. Editing by myself, Douglas Moffat, and Chanel Lees Marshall. Additional thanks to Supercontinent for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.